Hey, we had a guest worship leader with us this morning, Carly Capuano from Harvest Naperville. Thank you so much. That's Pastor Brandon's sister. Yeah, what a blessing to have her from Harvest Naperville with us today. We're so glad about that. Well, uh, it's me. Don't let the glasses fool you. You might be like, who is that man up there? <laughs> it's me. I got to wear my glasses because I'm, I'm actually battling two eye infections in my right eye. Two eye. You ever have one of those weeks that starts bad and you think it's going to get better and it only gets worse? Anybody have one of those weeks in the past and you're a Christian and, and that's what comes your way, right? <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you the story pretty much throughout the sermon here, but uh, needless to say, I, I drove here this morning wearing my mom's sunglasses. <laughs> so a week that ends that way is a pretty bad week. <laughs> but these things are amazing. Like, where, where have these been all my life? So... Um, I'll tell you the beginning of the story now, uh, but uh, on, on Sunday, I was wrestling with my son, Jared, and something just got in my eye, and so it didn't feel like anything substantial. I get things in my eye all the time, so, you know, of course, I had to finish the wrestling match and dominate, and then once that was over, I reached in and just got it out of the eye, and I don't know if the, the thing or my finger or what, but um, at three in the morning, Monday morning, I woke up in agonizing pain. I mean, like, 7 out of 10, like, couldn't, like, I, I couldn't close my eye because, and I couldn't, I couldn't blink because it killed, so there was nothing I could do to get rid of the pain. It was just throbbing, agonizing eye pain. So later I found out that there was a, a abrasion or cut on my eyeball, a cut on my cornea, and um, I'd taken allergy medicine, which dries out your whole eye, which means there was the cut, and then the eyelid kept hitting a dry cut. And so every time I blinked, it felt like somebody poked me in the eye, every, every blink. It was terrible. So I, I had to stay awake, but I was so tired, so I ended up just playing video games like with one eye, doing really, just like to stay awake. That was my 3 a.m. I don't know what you were doing 3 a.m. Monday morning, but I was up. <laughs> and uh, I was just like counting down the hours until the eye doctor would get in so I could go in. Well, when the sun came up, new agony. New agony, because then the light, the, the smallest amount of light felt like, like, just like knives were coming in. And so I ended up in the bathroom with, my, with the lights off, with my eyes closed. I couldn't see. That, and then I would come out and just try and make, make my way around. And uh, I'd go to the eye doctor. So then when the light came, I had to get to the eye doctor. So um, here, I came up with this makeshift like plan. Here's a picture of me like on the way to the eye doctor. I had like these glasses, and then that's a sock over my right eye. I, I put the sock under the Blackhawks hat and draped it over the eye, and that's how I walked into the eye doctor. <laughs> that's how my week started. <laughs> so as I was thinking about it, I didn't even know if I could preach this week, but then I decided I'd be able to. I thought it would be, uh, I had planned over the summer to preach on the... Um, passage where Jesus says, you know, you who don't see the plank in your eye, how can you see clearly to remove the speck out of your, you know, a lot has happened to my eyes this week and I thought I'm going to preach that now. So open in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 contains two parables that Jesus told involving the eyes and these parables 
teach you and me spiritual lessons using, using familiar um, images. That's what a parable is. It's a make-believe scenario or story or picture uh, drawn from something common in life that, that communicates a spiritual reality to you and me. Um, I'm going to read it, part of it, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get into it. But in Luke chapter 6, verse 39, of course, we're going through the teachings of Jesus this year. The Great Commission is our theme verse, and he said, go and make disciples, right? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So here in Luke six thirty-nine, it says this. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? The disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck? That is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Hey, let's pray and then we'll talk about this passage together. Uh, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you you are Lord of all. You are a good and faithful shepherd in the good weeks. You are a good and faithful shepherd in the bad weeks. We praise you, Lord, that you have not promised us a life free of pain, but you've promised your presence and your perspective. And thank you, Lord, for how uh, this trial in my life this week has helped me to see this passage more clearly, and I praise you for that. I pray that you would help our church to see what you're saying here in your name and for your glory. Amen. Okay, so the first thing that Jesus reveals is there's there's an assumption, there's an assumption in what Jesus sees when he looks around at humanity. Okay, so look at verse 39. He told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Jesus um, is talking about blindness of the eye, but what you have to understand is, in Jewish thinking, the eye was symbolic for the heart. Okay, So when a, when a rabbi or a teacher would talk about the eye, it's almost, it's, a, it's an indirect way of revealing a truth about the spirit of the person. So when Jesus says, I is blind, that's actually symbolic. It means a person <clears throat> who is not seeing clearly spiritually. It's spiritual blindness. Blind to what? Blind to who God is. Blind to how God acts. Blind to spiritually, blind to your, your own condition. Okay, so he's talking about spiritual blindness. And having your spiritual sight means seeing clearly what? God, God's plan, your own need, and the needs of those around you. All right, so are you following with me? When Jesus says blind, he is talking about physical blindness in the parable, but he's trying to make a spiritual point. And you can write this down. Here's what he wants you to first understand. Write this down. I'm born blind. I'm I'm born blind. One of the ways that God tries to show you your true original spiritual condition is he compares it to something. It's kind of like you're this. It's kind of like you're that. And and this is one way he says, you want to know what I see when I see you? You're blind. You're spiritually blind at birth. You can't see me or yourself or anybody correctly because you lack spiritual vision. And here Jesus says, if the blind lead the blind. Meaning, there you are, you can't see, 
And, and yet someone else who can't see comes up and takes you by the hand and says, come with me, and, and then walks you into a four-lane highway. He's making an indictment on the religious setup of his day. He looked around and he saw the Israelites and he said, you, you can't see, you're blind spiritually. And then he made a comment about how they were being led. But what I want you to understand is if you're spiritual, spiritually blind, it means you're lost. If you can see, it means you're saved. A spiritually blind person is stuck in the original darkened state of their soul. And a person who can see has been saved and given sight. For the Christian, I once was blind, but now I see. So we're born blind. Well, where do we find that in the Bible? Well, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, we'll put it up on the screen. It says this, in their case, the God of this world, okay, pop quiz, who do you think that is? Take a guess. Yeah, Satan, okay. The God of this world has done what? Blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing what? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the God of this world is a deceiver. And back in the garden, the deceiver led the whole world astray. Uh, God didn't make you blind. Sin, the enemy, the deceiver, made you blind. Took your sight. You see, in the, in, in the beginning, we weren't meant to be spiritually blind, but sin darkened the eyes of all. So sin, when you were born into this world, had already claimed your sight. So Jesus in John 9.39 says this. Jesus says, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. What does that mean? That, he clarifies later that it's not like some see and some don't. No, none see, but some say they can see. Okay, And he came to show them they're blind. You say you can see, but you can't see. So I'm born blind. When Jesus says, can the blind lead the blind, he's indicting all of the Israelites, in fact, all of humanity, as lacking spiritual sight from the beginning. Some appeared different, some appeared better, some appeared more religious, less religious, more well-off, less well-off. And Jesus said, it's the blind leading the blind. Welcome to the spiritual state of this world. Now, when it comes to not being able to see, I've, of course, learned a lot this week. Uh, after I went to the doctor with my sock, I decided to upgrade uh, by going to Walgreens. I actually, so that was on Monday that I went to the eye doctor. Lauren drove me there, and he said, yeah, you've you got a cut on your eye. And so he put like a contact over it to cover it so the eyelid didn't mess with it. And it was just a non-prescription contact. And then uh, and he gave me some antibiotic drops in case of an infection. So then he sent me home. Um, so on Tuesday I woke up and I was feeling a little bit better. Uh, so I decided I was going to go to work. So I drove myself to Walgreens with the sock over my eye. <laughs> and I went to Walgreens and I bought an eye patch. I got a picture here of myself. There's me with the eye patch. The same week I, you know... Lose an eye, my son gets a black eye. Isn't that something? When it rains, it pours. He also pulled both of his front teeth out with his bare hands, so he looks like a hockey player right now. <laughs> so I thought I, I thought I might have even had to wear the eye patch today, so I brought it with me. But this was me. The kids loved it. It was like Pirate Week at the Hall House. Uh, but I was driving, you know, with, with, with one eye. So Lauren, because she loves me, said, Honey, I'm not sure if you should be driving. <clears throat> I said, Laura, I can drive just fine. I've got one good eye. 
She's like, yeah, but your eyes messed up. You've got an eye patch on. I said the pirates have been sailing the seven seas for hundreds of years with one eye. I can drive to Walgreens. Okay, so, so get this. My wife was nervous when she was in the passenger seat and I was driving like this. How would she have felt if I covered up this eye? Would you let anybody drive your car with both eyes covered? Would you? Would you let the blind drive your car? You wouldn't. So here's a spiritual point. The blind leading the blind will not lead to a great place. And here we have Jesus saying, you're born blind, so is everyone who's like you. And he gives us He gives us a warning. He gives us a caution. He says, be careful who you follow. So here's the second point. You can write this down. Blind guides surround me and mislead me. Blind guides surround me and mislead me. Meaning I'm not just blind. I'm also prone to letting the wrong person start giving me spiritual direction. And the point is, that's such a foolish thought that the blind would lead the blind. How could they go anywhere that's not harmful? And if you wouldn't let someone drive your car blind, why would you let them drive your soul blind? If you won't let them take your car 300 feet, why would you let them take your soul into the next life? That's not going to go to a good place. Now, we don't need to wonder who Jesus was talking about when he said blind guides. He was very clear. You don't have to turn there. But in Matthew chapter 23, I'll just read a few verses to you. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus starts talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. These were the the teachers of the day. So if you went to a synagogue, this would be the preacher. If you went to Bible school, this would be your seminary professor. These were the Bible teachers of the day, the church leaders of the day, so to speak. And what does he say about them? Verse 16, woe to you, blind guides. Verse 17, you blind fools. Verse 19, you blind men. Verse 24, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Verse 26, you blind Pharisee. He calls them hypocrites, whitewashed tombs. He says, outwardly they appear righteous. On the inside, they're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. He says, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Am I on? He says this to the church leaders. You blind guides. He's telling the Israelites, if you follow them, he says every disciple will become like his teacher. Look back at that verse. What does that mean? He says a disciple is not above his teacher, But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. What does that mean? Well, he says blind leading the blind. Then he says teacher leading the disciple. It's pretty obvious what he's saying, right? Israelites, if you follow the Pharisees, you will become like them. You will end up with them forever. He's giving them a warning. And this warning transcends their state, who's leading them. You obviously don't have any Pharisees and scribes reaching out for your hand today. But there are blind guides who surround you. And you have to be very careful because who is it that you are going to allow to take you by the hand and promise you peace in the next life? Who are you going to entrust with your soul? 
blind guides surround me and mislead me. The Pharisees of that day trusted self-righteousness. Self-righteousness means if I can do something to make myself better than you, then I'm going to go to heaven. And in fact, if you come to me, I'll teach you things and train you to do things that can make you righteous. That's self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is the I do plan. You want to know what makes Christianity unique among all the religions? It's not a religion. Do you know every other religion trusts in self-righteousness? It's people telling people what you can do to make yourself righteous. I've done these things or learned these things and become righteous on my own effort. That's self-righteousness. But do you want to know at the heart of self-righteousness what it is? It's trusting that there would be a God or supreme being who would grade on the curve. See, because I've made myself more righteous than you, and therefore it's, it's all about who I'm standing next to in line that determines whether or not I get into the next life. See, there's a scale, a sliding scale of righteousness. And if you've gotten to a certain point, you're in. If you haven't, you're out. Do you know what that basically means? This just hit me like a ton of bricks this week. That means my Savior is your sin. Self-righteousness means your sinfulness is what I'm trusting to get me into heaven because I'm not as bad as you. That's deception. That's blindness. Climb up on the backs of others and become more righteous than others and their sin has the power to save you? What makes Christianity different? Christianity teaches that you can't Make yourself righteous. In fact, the standard of righteousness, if you want to get into heaven, the standard is you have to be perfect. Your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees, leaving you wondering, how on earth can that happen? And Jesus Christ came into the world to live the perfect life. He never sinned once. He alone is good and righteous. Because your sinless Savior died on the cross and rose again, when you trust Christ, do you know you've heard all your life, He takes away your sin, takes away your sin, true. But do you know He also gives you His righteousness? He empties you of all of the sin, the bankruptcy, and He fills your account with everything that is His. Therefore, you are, in God's eyes, perfect from the moment you're born again. No one else can give that to you. No other person who can take you by the hand can make you like Christ and lead you where he's going. They can't. And the only guides you should trust in this life are the guides who have admitted, I'm blind. I needed to go to Christ. I needed to be made righteous. He gave me righteousness as a gift, and now I want to give it to you. Blind guides surround me and mislead me. Well, who are the blind guides? Where are they, and what are they saying? A blind guide today is anyone who denies the truth about Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. They're a blind guide. It's a person who offers righteousness apart from Jesus. Who's giving your life spiritual direction right now? Who are you trusting? If I were to ask you what you believe about the origin of the universe, the meaning of life, right and wrong, and how we figure that out, what happens a moment after you die, what names would be coming up as you... The Dalai Lama, Richard Dawkins, Oprah, the latest History Channel, everybody's got a truth panel. Who's on your truth panel informing your opinions on these things? These are your guides. These are your guides. 
You can find blind guides everywhere. You can find blind guides in the, in, in the uh, classroom. Blind guides in the classroom. If you go to a college, a high school, they'll teach you that you were born a blank slate. You had no sin nature. You weren't bad or good. You were just born. You were, and, then, and then society and your parents and your own choices brought you these things. And if we could just fix society and fix education and fix health care, there would not be any crime or sin in this world. Wrong. That's the blind leading the blind. You can find blind guides in the government. Hey, if we get enough votes, what's wrong becomes right. What's illegal becomes legal. Show of hands looks good to us. Uh, well, if it's legal, how can you say it's wrong? Well, because every government's supposed to submit to a higher law, God's law, right? You'll find blind guides in the government. You'll find blind guides on TV, in movies, music stars and their lyrics. Say, if something's popular, it must not be wrong. I mean, what does Han Solo think about that? I mean, if he says that it's okay, how can I argue with him? It turns what is wrong fashionable. It, it puts a pretty face on it, uh, but it's, it's the blind leading the blind. It's a blind guide. You can also find blind guides in the church. Um, two ways that you'll find blind guides in the church. First, there are those who are legalistic. They'll teach you that if you follow their tedious rules, they can make you righteous. Trust them with your hair length or your dress code or what fabric you put on your legs. Trust them with with the outward, and then if you follow their rules, you can be made righteous by law. Uh, That's the blind leading the blind. You can't have someone police your exterior and promise you internal revival. That's not the way the Bible works. But there's also those teachers who are more liberal. They try and rewrite the Bible, subtract hell, add homosexuality, make every religion work. They're blind, and their followers will end up in a deep pit with them. These are the teachings of Christ. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Disciples not above his teacher, but everyone when he's fully trained will be like his teacher. If you follow them, you'll end up like them and you'll end up with them. But if you follow me, you'll end up like me and you'll end up with me. That's what Jesus was saying. I'm born blind and blind guides surround me and mislead me. Here's the third thing you can write down. I must see my blindness. I must see my blindness. In uh, verse 41, Jesus continues to teach. He says, why do, he asks questions here. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Another question, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite. Uh, this, is, this is another portrayal. First you have the blind leading the blind. Now you have this like medical exam where somebody's sitting in the chair and then the optometrist who comes in, um, both are equally incapacitated. All right. Um, what Jesus is saying here is one person has a speck in their eye. But the word speck in the original Greek means like twig or thorn. Twig or thorn. All right? I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want that in my eye. Give me a list of three things you'd like in your eye. Go ahead. Like eye drops, eye drops, and contact lenses. (laughs) Thorn won't make the list. So don't don't think of it as one person has this tiny little dust flake. No, it's like a thorn. Like eye doesn't work. 
But then you got the other guy coming in to do the exam, and he's got a plank or a beam sticking out of his eye, like a two-by-four. And he sits down and says, relax, I'm here to help. So now Jesus is first the blind leading the blind, and now you have the blind examining and helping the blind. And he's showing the foolishness, like neither one of them is going to walk out of that appointment better. Now, I wanted to just bring this to life for you, so um, I, I need like a volunteer here. Can somebody, somebody willing to come up and, and be a volunteer? I promise you won't get hurt. You're, you've volunteered too many times. I'm going to ask Matt Van Dyke to come up and volunteer. I'm going to ask him to volunteer. <laughs> come on up, Matt. Hey, give Matt a round of applause. He's so great. Hi, Matt. Hi. How are you? All right. Now, um, this is a thorn branch. So what I need you to do is just take that, uh, break one of those thorns off, and then put it in your eye. (laughs) Okay, now while you're doing that, I've got a two-by-four here (laughs) that I'm going to put in my eye. Okay, now I'm the eye doctor, (laughs) and you're the patient, okay? So I'm the one who's going to fix you. Now just hold it up there. We're going to pretend, okay? Hold it up there, and I'm going to pretend that I've got, I can't see that well, so be careful. All right, now I've got tweezers somewhere, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come help you, all right? Now, you just hold real still. Okay, yeah, can you just prop that up a little bit? There we go. All right. Okay, now I'm the one who's going to get the thorn out of your eye, okay? <laughs> Do you see how foolish this is? All right, thank you, Matt, so much. I appreciate you helping out. I'll take the thorn. Whoop, did it prick you? They hurt, don't they? Now, the, the religious teachers of the day were still blind. In fact, they were comically blind. They had so much sin that they hadn't gotten rid of on their own by their own rules that it was ridiculously hilarious to think of how sinful they were. They were full of hypocrisy and greed and, and, and violence. And, and, and yet they dared to say, sit down in the chair, allow me to get the thorn out of your own eye. Uh, what a portrait. What, a, what an indictment Jesus hands down to the religious leaders and to the people. I mean, what you realize is both need help, but one doesn't see he needs a doctor, and the other doesn't see his doctor's need. That's what's going on. But both need help from someone who sees clearly. Um, I think I left off on Monday. I went to the eye doctor. He put the contact in right and told me to take the antibiotics, and then Tuesday I came back, um, sat down in the chair, and uh, he numbed my eye, and he said, all right, I got to get that contact off, and he, he said, I, I use tweezers, but it's not going to hurt. I said, okay, because <laughs> he numbed the eye. Well, what he didn't know was I had two infections. He didn't know that yet, and he didn't know that my eye was having an allergic reaction to the contact. Because it was made of silicone, and my eye's allergic to silicone, apparently. So even though he numbed the eye, when he slid the tweezers along my eye, it felt like a knife. It, it, I can't explain to you how painful it was. But they should, in the eye doctor's office, they need to put seatbelts and harnesses on those chairs. <laughs> because I wanted to jump and then punch somebody. But I'm a pastor. I can't. So he slid the dress. I said, Doc, that's not going to work. And, uh, and he said, oh, that's not supposed to hurt. I numbed your eye. I said, it ain't numb. It ain't numb. 
So he left the contact on and he said, all right, well, let's just, my eyes started getting cloudy. So that night I was kind of nervous about it. So I just used saline and got it all wet, and like moved it down and took the contact off. But then I realized after I took the contact off, my eye was still cloudy, which is weird. That's not good. And so the next morning when I woke up, I couldn't see my hand. Couldn't see my hand. So I called my doctor and I said, hey, uh, I don't think this is good, but I can't see my hand. And he said, not good. In fact, he gave me an over-the-phone referral to go to an ophthalmologist, got to the ophthalmologist. She sat me down in the chair, a lot of sitting in the chair this week, letting people examine my eyes. And she said, all right, nothing looks good in that eye. She said, you got, an infect- you got two infections, and um, she said, we got we to go after it right away. Um, so she, they also have to make sure the eye itself isn't swelling. So the way they do that is they've got this tiny little battering ram with like a metal probe on it. Who thinks of these things? All your life, you're told what not to touch your eye, and these people go to school to figure out exactly what they can touch your eye with. There's this little metal probe, and it's got a light on it, and they numb your eye again. And then she's like, hold still. And they ram your eyeball to see the pressure. But then if that didn't work. So then when that doesn't work, they've got this handheld probe. So then they come up, and they put that on your eye, and it's like a jackhammer. I'm just like, ah, these people are trying to help me, but it hurts so bad. Okay, what would I have done if she came into the room, I sat in the chair, and she had an oar sticking out of her eye, and then picked up the tweezers? Hold still. Would you stay in that chair? Here's the point. If you wouldn't let someone do that to your body, why would you let someone do that to your soul? Ain't nobody with a plank in his eye coming near my eyeball. Uh, Yeah, but somebody who is not made righteous by Christ, who takes you by the hand, who sits you in the chair and claims to help you see clearly spiritually, I don't care what their book is titled. I don't care how nice they're talking to you. It's going to hurt. And you're not going to see. Jesus is trying to show you that there is only one who can make you see clearly. There's only one truth that can open your eyes. Anyone else who says they're going to help, it's not going to help. I want you to know exactly what it means to be made righteous in God's sight. Who is it that is made righteous in God's sight. Um, Luke 18, 11 to 14, same book, same author, Jesus shares a story that makes this so clear. Um, Luke, it's, uh, what is it again? It's 18, 11. He says this, the Pharisee, we know he's indicting them, right? The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this, tax collector. Now, the tax collectors were like the crooked IRS agents of the day, okay? Swindled the people. So they're both pretty nasty guys. But in verse 12, he says, uh, the Pharisee says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You realize you have to get to the point in life where you confess that you're blind. You admit, whoever else has tried to help you see, they failed. Whatever else they've taught you didn't work. And only Christ is the one who can help you. And therefore, humbly, like you won't even look up because you're so humble about it. You know, you don't even deserve it. You say, Father, have mercy on a sinner like me. That's the person who's saved. The person who stands in front of God and shows them all their badges. I've got this merit badge and this merit badge and this merit badge and this many churches I went to, this much I gave, and it's not justified. It's the person who's humble enough to admit they need a Savior that is made righteous by God's grace. Mercy means meeting us in our misery and leading us out. That's what God does. That's what the tax collector knew he needed. Hey, have you realized that you need a righteousness that can only come from Christ? Have you realized that all of your religious activity, that every class you've ever taken or every step you've ever gone through, every box you've ever checked, every rule you've ever followed, do you realize that's filthy rags in God's sight? Do you realize none of it counts? All of that was meant to just teach you your great need for someone to help you see? You're in the chair. You've got a big problem. You can't see. But Christ is offering to help. What Jesus does is he makes the blind see. But if you don't admit your blindness, he can't help you. I'm born blind, so are you. Blind guides surround me and mislead me. I must see my blindness. And then here's where this is driving, the last one. I must remove the plank and help others see clearly. I must remove the plank and help others see clearly. So back in Luke 6, Luke 6, um, Luke 6, verse 42, how could you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck of the thorn that's in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. The word hypocrite is powerful. It means actor. Hypocrite means a stage actor, someone who would wear a mask or pretend to be someone they're not. He's calling out the pretenders, the fakers, those who are putting on a show. Who's one of your favorite actors? You got a favorite actor? Your favorite actor? One of my favorite actors is Kiefer Sutherland. 24, the new series just came out in London, right? There he is, saving the world, and Chloe right at his side. He's amazing. Put him in a room with 10 terrorists, and he walks out without a scratch. He can survive. All he needs is a toothpick, and he can defend himself from, like, somebody with a bazooka. He's like a killing machine. No, he's not. He's an actor. It's a toy gun. You send him into Afghanistan, and you put it, give him a real gun and throw him into a warehouse filled with Al-Qaeda. He's dead before the commercial break. He's an actor. It's in this sense of the word that he's a hypocrite. It means he's pretending to be someone he's really not. And there in the synagogue and today in the church, even here in this room, there are those who are walking around with the plank in their eye saying they're a believer. Hey, is that you? Are you faking it? Look like, sound like, act like Christian, but won't let go of your sin? You see, this portrays repentance here. Um, you know, there's 
Some scriptures in the Bible that describe God's side of salvation, like He calls you and elects you and predestines you, and there's things only God can do to adopt you into His family. But you see, you have a responsibility, which is why the Bible says you have to repent, you have to turn, you have to call out with your mouth and believe with your heart. This graphically depicts your side. Repent is depicted here as you tearing the plank out of your eye. Remove the plank, you hypocrite. Remove the plank. You have to let go of your sins. The plank represents your sins. For the Pharisees, their sins were hypocrisy, greed, jealousy, anger, deception, self-righteousness, pride. That was, the, that was their sins that they wouldn't let go. And here's what they were saying. They were saying, I have my plank and my sight. Jesus said, you're blind. See, but this is what people do in the church today. I have my sin and my Savior. I have my, I'm greedy and I love money and it determines my life. And, and I have my Savior. I'm filled with lust and I've stopped fighting it and I've got secrets that no one knows in my sexual life and, and I have my Savior. I'm crooked and corrupt and a liar and a deceiver and I pretend when I'm at home and then I stop pretending when I'm at school and I'm a Christian. You're blind. You're blind. You can't have your sin and your Savior. You can't have your plank and your sight. And so someone like me has to walk up and say, I want to help you see clearly. You see, you've got to get the plank You've got to repent. The plank has to go. The plank has to go. Or you can't be saved. You have to repent or you can't be saved. Have you repented? Have you walked an aisle or gone in the baptistry or prayed a prayer and kept all of your sin intact? You're not saved. You're a hypocrite. You've got to remove the plank. And then you have to help others see clearly. This is a challenge to believers. See, now that Jesus helped you see clearly, it's your job to go and help others see clearly. This is the Great Commission. It's your job to help other people see clearly. A lot of people this week were helping me see clearly. I went, I went uh, from the ophthalmologist. They sent me to a um, corneal specialist. The ophthalmologist said, I think you're turning a corner. It's going to be fine. I'm going to send you to a specialist. And then the secretary got on the phone and said, he needs to get in today. It's really bad. He, can, can he come over right now? And I'm like, this sounds urgent. Who do I believe? So I got into the corneal specialist that day, and he was very nice. He helped me to see clearly. He sat down. They keep shining the light in the eye. It's so painful. He's like, I know it hurts just to... He's shining the legs, looking, looking, looking. He said, two infections. Here's how deep they went. Here's how we're going to treat them. You're going to be put on two antibiotics. You've got to take them every hour. Um, he explained to me what was going on. Your body can't fight it in the eye. You've got to fight it. And uh, the bac- bacteria is going to react and try and adjust. And so we got to, so what they needed to do was, they, there are a lot of things that have touched my eye this week. So he pulled out four cotton swabs. And they need to swab the eyeball four times. This won't hurt. I've heard that one before. <laughs> Three, four. And they get these Petri dishes out, and then what they do is 
Uh, it's like war. It's like it's like Star Wars on my eye. There's like you know the Empire is trying to build bases, and they they put the bacteria on the petri dishes, and they start attacking them with other bombs to figure out what the next wave is going to be. And then on this week, then they give me whatever something new to keep the fight going. Um, it's pretty cool. What was he doing? He was helping me see, and he said. It's going to be weeks. Your vision will probably remain cloudy. He said, I can't even tell you if you've lost vision or if you will lose vision. I don't know. All I know is here's what you have to do. Okay, now I didn't get up out of that chair and say, who are you to tell me what to do to my eyes? These are my eyes. I'll do what I want when I want. I'll believe what I want about these eyeballs. I don't see no infection. What did I do? Give me the drops. Give me all the drops. (laughs) Put him in the super soaker. I did what he said because he's the one to help me see clearly. Right? Now here Jesus says, I got to remove the plank. Why? So get the plank out of your own eye so you can see clearly to do what? To remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, so there is a problem in those around you. They can't see either. But it's your job to first have your sight taken care of and fixed so that then you can go and help them. Do what? See their sin, repent of it, and find salvation through Christ so that they can see like you. This is a great commission. Go and make disciples. Go and share with people the truth that Jesus came into the world as the light of the world to die on the cross. He came back, rose again, so you're blind, you can see. That's what he's calling us to. See, but many Christians don't think we're supposed to share our faith. We think supposed to just cross our arms and well they believe other things i'm not who am i to tell them what to believe in but that's not what the bible teaches the bible teaches you are supposed to tell them what christ said to believe right hey if you woke up in a world where everyone was physically blind and you had the cure would you give it to people because that's the world you live in They're spiritually blind, and you have the cure. And Christ wants us to be his delivery. He wants us to be the ones who get his truth out. We have to understand that this is our great trust. This is the trust of the church. Now, I know some people will say, oh, I don't like it when people are yelling and beating the Bible. You've got to do it in love, but you've got to share the truth. You see, at Harvest, we believe we're speaking the truth in love. This comes straight from the Bible. I mean, in Ephesians verse, chapter 4, verse 15, it says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to him who is the head into Christ. Listen, if you go to someone, and because you love them so much, and you care about your friendship, you, own, you cut the truth in half and tell them half, you don't love them. Half the truth is not loving if you really want them to believe the truth and be saved. But if you go to them with the truth and you cut the love in half and you're like, bam, 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 you're, well, then you're a self-righteous. Now, now your Christianity has made you a self-righteous, cross my arms and judge you to death. And that's not what we're supposed to do. You see, the trick is to bring 100% of the truth with 100% of the love so that other people can see. Maybe you're more of a truth person and you need to amp up. You need to turn up the love. Maybe you're more of a love person, but you can't let go of the truth in the name of being sentimental. It's both. It's both. So a couple weeks ago, I challenged you based on a sermon about hell to go and tell someone, lead up to it however you want, be gentle and slow, but then get to the point where you actually tell them, I don't think you're going to heaven. 
If you did that, I want to hear from you. I've got a new challenge for you today, though. I want you at some point throughout this week, I want you to say to someone, you know what, I was born blind. And then make them ask you, what do you mean? (laughs) I was born blind. And then tell them, well, you know, spiritually, the Bible says I was blind, but Christ came along and helped me see. Say that, and then pray that God gives you an opportunity to talk with them about faith in Christ. I want you to do that. Be brave and courageous and take a risk and do that. And then let me know how it goes. But as I close here, what I want to emphasize is this. This is basically a call to repent, to be saved, and to become a true follower of Christ. That's what this is. So I want to close by saying this. If you came in here today, whatever else you were, religious, Christian, Baptist, charismatic, Lutheran, whatever, atheist, whatever else you would say you were, if you walked in here, you have to understand you're blind. But Christ has offered to sit you down in the chair and to give you your sight back by trusting in him. I want to give you the chance to respond to that right now. Let's close our eyes. Let's pray together in response to what we heard. Jesus, your teachings are so easy to understand, so clear. If a blind man leads a blind man, won't they both fall into a pit? And Father, I know there are some here today who all their life have just been following blind guides. They've been led here and there. They haven't found peace. They haven't found holiness. They haven't found the love from an almighty God. And maybe they're awakened this morning to their blindness and they they want to see God. They want to see truth. They want to see the reality of heaven. They want to see God's plan. Lord, only you can open blind eyes. And I just trust that there are some here today who are ready to confess their need for a Savior. Ready to remove the planks of sin that stand between them and a holy God. To truly turn around and to experience changing grace. Father, I just want to lead those folks in a moment of prayer right now. These aren't magic words. They can just pray along with me in their own hearts saying, Lord Jesus, I'm blind without you. I can't see without you. My heart is in darkness without you. But here and now, I confess my sins to you and repent. Specific sins. Hidden sins. Habitual sins. Sins from my mouth. Sins from my eyes. Sins with my money. Sins at work and at home. I repent. They are ravaging my soul and leading me to hell. And I repent. I don't need them anymore. So Jesus, give me my sight. Help me to walk in newness of life because you being righteous and perfect and holy died in my place. This is my plea. Forgive a humble sinner. I ask this in Jesus' name.